started a series last week every year. Uh, right after our anniversary, we go through um, uh, several um, aspects of what we believe as a church and why we do the things we do. <clears throat> and uh, beginning uh, last week was the uh, who we are. We're a people of faith. Uh, this week, we're going to be looking at we are people that worship. We are worshipers. So to summarize my message this morning is basically when we acknowledge who God is, it should cause us to respond appropriately with an attitude of awe, respect, and thanks. He seeks a closer relationship with us. Can you say amen? God, how many know we're not there yet? Like Paul the Apostle says, uh, I, I have not attained 100%, but this one thing I do, I forget the things that are behind and I press on towards the goal, towards the mark, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're not 100% there yet. Hallelujah. But we do have something to aim for. And uh, he, God seeks a closer relationship with us. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah that his hands are outstretched all the day long toward a stubborn and rebellious people. Oh God, let us not be found as those stubborn and rebellious people, but let us be found as those that are yielded and willing to love God and to love people and to be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit and, 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 and just sharing the gospel and sharing the good news and the presence of God with people. That should be our goal and our aim. Can you say amen? So God seeks a closer relationship with us and we will experience a greater sense of his presence when his, our attention is on him. Praise God. So if you have your Bibles, let's begin at John's Gospel, chapter 4. If you're familiar with this, is the story of the woman at the well. Jesus uh, is hungry. They're, they're on their way to Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus impresses upon the disciples that uh, instead of going around the long way, he's going to go straight through Samaria to Jerusalem. He's coming from up north in Galilee, and he, in, the new, in the old King James, it says he must needs go through Samaria in the new King James, but he needed to go through Samaria. So they come to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from the journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour. His disciples had gone into the town to get some food and refreshment, and it's about the sixth hour, about noon, and a woman of Samaria comes to draw water. Jesus says to her, give me something to drink. And then he has this discourse with her, argument. Anybody ever argue with God? <laughs> Praise God. You always lose when you argue with God. Disciples had gone there, and this woman surprised. She says, How come you? She could tell he's Jewish. Obviously, he's Jewish, which is <clears throat> against the, uh, I don't know <laughs> how you say, the, the white supremacists have it wrong. Jesus is Jewish. Jesus is Jewish. Isn't that something? People think that Jesus is this nice, nice white guy with a beard and long hair. And no, Jesus is Jewish. Because he, Jesus says salvation is of the Jews. 
Jesus is Jewish. So she's surprised. How can you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Because in John's Gospel, John writes uh, that the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus tells her, if you knew, sorry, this is a little bit further ahead in the story. Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So lady looks around, she goes, <laughs> you don't even have a water pot. How are you going to give me anything to drink? Where are you going to get that living water? And uh, she kind of gets a clue because Jesus says it's living water, not just normal water. So this has uh, got her interest. And he asks, she asks him, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and livestock? This is an interesting question, because she's claiming that Jacob is one of her ancestors, and she's a Samaritan. And Jesus, he's Jewish, and she's Samaritan, which is kind of, you know, a little bit odd that she's claiming Jacob we can all claim Abraham as our ancestor, basically. We can all claim Adam as our ancestor. But she says she believes that Jacob, she acknowledges that Jacob owned the well, that Jacob owned it and gave it to his son Joseph, that Jacob actually drank water out of this well. So this is uh, one of those, uh, like we have here in this country, a historic place. We have the National Register of Historic Places here in the United States, and, and uh, the United Nations has uh, what they call the UNESCO World Heritage Sites, that supposedly everybody has a share in these World Heritage Sites, uh, irregardless of who the actual owner is. But this woman's claiming that her people own this well, and Jesus tells her, whoever drinks water from this well will thirst again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. The water that I give them will become in them a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. So great. <laughs> Let me have some, she says. I'll take some. Everlasting life, a fountain inside. You don't have to come to the well and drink anymore because if you know the story, this woman came by herself, which was very significant because most of the other ladies, they already get gone there, and they come out, uh, pardon the, the expression, as a gaggle of girls. They come on out. They're all, I'm sure they're chatting anyway, but she comes out by herself. And she says, you know what? I can imagine she's thinking, if I get this water, I'll never have to come here again. I don't have to worry about everybody talking behind my back because I come out here by myself without anybody else. And so Jesus said, yeah, she says to Jesus, yeah, I'll take some of that. And uh, so Jesus kind of tweaks the conversation and says, okay, um, go call your husband. And uh, she says, I have no husband. And Jesus, being the son of God and having a purpose in this conversation, says, you know, I know that you don't have a husband. It's kind of obvious because you came out by yourself. But he tells her, you had five husbands. So this is nothing new. How many husbands did uh, Elizabeth Taylor have? Seven? This is nothing new. Five husbands this woman has had. 
And then he goes on to say, and you're living with a guy now, and you're not married to him. You're shacking up. That's nothing new either. People, you know, I don't know about you, my older brother went to uh, um, rent a, uh, an apartment one time back in New York City, and the woman who owned the building was an immigrant. I think she was from Germany. She's an older woman. And uh, she was angry because he brought his girlfriend with him. He said, no shacking up, he sa she says. No shacking up in my apartment. And uh, so I think he went and got another apartment or got rid of the girlfriend. I can't remember. <laughs> but shacking up's nothing new. And then, so this woman gets surprised and uh, she, uh, she doesn't say, man, how did you know that? She perceives She's, the Bible says, I perceive that you are a prophet. In other words, she understands that there's something supernatural about this man she's talking to. He offers her uh, everlasting water that she'll never have to drink again. And then he, she, he knows some things about her that he's never met her before. Uh, I've heard stories of um, uh, ministers that... Uh, uh, God speaks to them and tells them, you know, this, say this to this person. And, and Jesus isn't doing this to embarrass her. And that's not the purpose of words of knowledge or words of wisdom or, or when God gives you insight into somebody. It's not the purpose of embarrassing anybody because Jesus has a real, real purpose in mind here when he's talking to this lady. And... Uh, he says, you're, you're, she says, you must be a prophet. And she has this interesting question. She doesn't really ask a question. He, she says to him, our fathers, our ancestors, worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where we're supposed to worship. If you know any of the history, uh, I believe it was uh, Jeroboam, uh, was uh, made king of the northern empire or the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes. And uh, uh, God spoke to him specifically after Solomon's death. Solomon's son had the, um, the uh, uh, kingdom split. And uh, God assures Jeroboam, you're the king. And Jeroboam says, great. And then he got nervous and decided, you know what? I don't think God's telling the truth and I can't trust God. So what Jeroboam did is he made two golden calves, just like Aaron did out in the wilderness when they came out of Egypt, and he put one in Samaria, and he put the other one up in the northern area, in the, the tribe area of Dan, and told everybody, this is where you guys worship. Because he was afraid that the, everyone that went to Jerusalem would decide, oh, you know what? Um, we're going to go back and uh, rejoin the kingdom of uh, Judah and, and forget about that. And he didn't believe God. And so he caused this terrible sin of idolatry at the beginning of his kingdom, kingship, or whatever you want to call it, his reign. And I believe if you read about it, it says that Jeroboam, this sin went from generation to generation. He caused all more sin in, in Israel than in any other person did because of what he did. This mountain, by the way, is Mount Gerizim, where the blessings were pronounced, and the other mountain on the other side is where the curses were pronounced. And so th this, I guess they thought, you know, since this is where the blessings were pronounced, let's worship God here. Even though 
They already knew they were supposed to worship in Jerusalem. So Jesus uh, says, you know, that's an interesting question. That's a very deep theological question. Where should we worship God? So Jesus says to her in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. In the world today, there's lots of people that worship all kinds of things. Then they really don't understand what they're worshiping. For example, here in the United States, since we have freedom of worship, you can worship Satan, which I don't think is a very good idea. He doesn't like anybody, but he's, he's got power, and I guess that's why people do that. I don't think that people that worship him know really what they're worshiping. Like Jesus said, you don't know what you're worshiping. But we know because salvation is of the Jews. It's the gift of the Jews. It's the one God and the, 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 uh, the foreshadowing of deliverance and, and uh, restoration with the right relationship with God as uh, uh, illustrated in the Exodus and the Passover. All these things foreshadowed what was to come. And that was Jesus, God himself coming to earth, becoming a human like us and taking our sins upon himself. Hallelujah. So we could be set free and be changed and born into his kingdom. <clears throat> it goes on to say, excuse me, let me look at my notes. That might help. Salvation is of the Jews. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 3 says these words. Get it there. There we go. We are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Notice this phrase here. We worship God in the Spirit. Um, this circumcision is a spiritual thing. Back then it was a physical thing. And it signified having a right relationship with God. It says now in the New Testament we're circumcised in our heart and that it's a spiritual thing. And so because of that, we worship God in the Spirit. We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He goes on to say that if anybody is confident that they're right with God because of what they do, I am more right with God because of what I do or how I used to live. He was without fault. He was blameless in following the law. But he said, you know what? That's not good enough. Thank God that Jesus, when he came and uh, died on the cross and rose again from the dead, his sacrifice is more than enough. More than enough. Paul writes almost five, I think there's five times he says, uh, how much more in Romans chapter 5? How much more? It makes us more than good enough. It's more. It's totally adequate. Like uh, I heard one pastor say, there's not enough sin in the universe to nullify the sacrifice of Jesus. Hallelujah. The unquestionably successful sacrifice of Jesus. We'll go on. Jesus says the hour is coming and now is. At that point in time, in that moment of time, Jesus was making a declaration that something has changed. Now is. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter where you are. You can worship God anywhere, anytime, 
any place. Uh, most of the time when I'm driving in my vehicle, I'm praying in tongues, I'm praying, I'm singing, and I'm seeking God's favor, God's presence, because I need God every moment of the day, and so do you. Can you say amen? Praise God. Anytime, anywhere, the Father is seeking such to worship Him. Isn't that amazing? That God, who seems so far away from us sometimes, because He's invisible, you can't see Him. <clears throat> Anybody ever see God? I haven't. I've heard of people that have seen Jesus. I've heard of uh, uh, followers of Islam who have seen Jesus and they get saved. I've heard of followers of Islam. In fact, I think Pastor Jack Harris over there in Iraq was telling us that his interpreter uh, saw Jesus. Jesus came to him in a dream, but he refused to get saved because he, he's so attached to his, his uh, culture there. But others have met Jesus. I read a story of a woman who had a dream about John the Baptist, and she had no idea who John the Baptist was. And um, she actually uh, went to a, um, her dad was a, a high-ranking military official, and she had to go to this uh, uh, medical clinic, and it was run by Catholic uh, nuns. And she happened to ask one of the nuns a question, and the nun just tells her simply, talk to God as though he's your dad, just like you talk to your dad. And it clicked inside this woman because she knew that her relationship with her dad was so secure that she could interrupt him at any time and he would gladly bring her in and sit her on his knee and what is it? And talk to me. And she could worship or not worship. She probably kind of adored her dad, but she understood this idea that you can approach God. The name of the book is I Dared Call Him Father. Hallelujah. God is a spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Must. Whereby, in remember in uh, Hebrews it says, there's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. In essence, this is a command to worship God in spirit and in truth. Mm, excuse me, my coffee's acting up. Job chapter 1 verse 20. He gets the news of all the destruction that's happened to him. His, wife, his uh, kids died. His uh, stuff got stolen. He's, lost, he's destitute. And what does he do? It says he worshipped. He bowed down his face to the ground and he worshipped God. And he said, blessed be the name of the Lord. Most people would be pulling their hair out if they had any left. Most people would be yelling at God, why are you doing this to me? Job gives us a great example. Something happens in his life. He didn't understand what was going on. And he worshiped God. Isn't that a good thing to do? You, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. His circumstances may seem like they're against you. And, and I know sometimes it seems like God's against us, but God's not against us. The Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? God is for you. And so worship him. Blessed be the name of the Lord God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Those that worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. 
go to the next. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul writes, he says, I desire, therefore, that men and women pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Well, what if your hands aren't holy? Well, how do you get your hands to become holy? You put your faith in Jesus Christ and he makes you holy. The blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. Jesus uh, uh, was holy. He's, you know, there's people that dress up around the world and they, they uh, portray themselves as holy men. But what makes us holy is that God has imparted into us his Holy Spirit when we accepted Jesus, when we believed in Jesus and received him as our Savior. In the Old Testament, three or four times, God says, be holy, for I am holy. And it's quoted in the New Testament. God's telling us that when you believe in Jesus, you are holy. Therefore, your hands are holy, lifting up holy hands. When you pray, lift up holy hands. When we worship uh, in, in the beginning of the service, we lift up our hands in worship and praise to God. It's like uh, little kids. They want to be picked up. They want dad or mom's affection. They'll pick me up. Up, up. I've seen little kids. Little guys, they, they, they don't know very many words, so they just up, up. <laughs> Praise God. And I, 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 I really like the, uh, the, uh, the uh, imp what's the word? Not the impression, but the image of God picking us up, putting us on his shoulder. And ever, any, sure you've seen little kid on dad's shoulder or mom's shoulder just so relaxed and asleep and comforted, and, and there they are. They're secure, and that's Jesus does for us. He makes us secure in him. Praise God. Lift up holy hands. Psalm 28, verse 2. I lift up my hands toward thy sanctuary. Hallelujah. Psalm 63, verse 4. I will lift up my hands in thy name. Hallelujah. Psalm 119, verse 48. My hands I will lift unto thy name, unto thy sanctuary. Psalm 134, verse 2, lift up your hands in the sanctuary. When we're worshiping in the beginning of the service and the singing the songs, close your eyes if you know the words. Lift your hands. I know Moses' hands were lifted when they were battling the Amalekites and his, the Israelites were winning, but his arms got tired. I don't know about you, but... Uh, I've lifted weights before, and you get tired. And if you hold your hands up for quite a while, try holding your hands up for five minutes and see what happens. I know they used to do uh, make the uh, police officer recruits uh, stand like this for a long time to see who, who can keep their arms up the longest. And I heard read somewhere that they don't do it anymore because it's cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> but it's hard sometimes to lift your hands. But So you don't have to lift them all the way up there all the time, but... Lift your hands as we're singing and praising God. Hallelujah. One of my favorites is Psalms 141, verse 2. It says, let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice. Under the law of Moses, they were supposed to have a morning sacrifice and an evening sacrifice. One little innocent lamb for the nation, morning and evening. It was supposed to be forever and ever, but apparently God only knew that they were not going to be able to fulfill that, and so that's why Jesus came. But lift, 
Let the lifting up by hands be as the evening sacrifice. A sacrifice is something we give to God that pleases God, that, that God understands like Abraham uh, takes his son and, and God told him, you know, give me your son. And I don't know how come he believed that God would uh, raise him again from the dead, but uh, that's a whole nother sermon. But he gave his best and God blessed him. Let the lifting up of my hands be as the evening sacrifice, pleasing and acceptable to God. If you know the story of uh, Elijah the prophet and the prophets of Baal, it was the time of the evening sacrifice, the evening offering, when, God, when uh, Elijah called on God and God answered by fire. The fire came from heaven. It burned up the rocks. It burned up the sacrifice. It burned up the wood. Can you imagine that? It burned up the rocks. <laughs> turned them to ashes. And all the water, there's the middle of a drought, and they got a whole bunch of water. Where they got it from, I have no idea. But they had drenched the sacrifice. And the time of the evening offering, God answered. Hallelujah. Something to look forward to when you're praying, that God will answer prayer. Can you say amen? Praise God. In Romans chapter 12, verse 1, Paul writes, he says, I beseech you therefore, and the therefore is because he just wrote 12 or 11 chapters worth of things that are there for us to uh, talk about or think about the mercies of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service. It's the most reasonable thing in the world to give your life to Jesus. If you look at all the evidence there's sin in the world. You don't have to teach kids how to sin. They learn how, they know how to lie. They know how to be selfish. They know how to uh, be, uh, <laughs> I don't know what the word is. They know how to be <laughs> kids growing up and in need of direction and not always wanting to follow direction. Sin is human nature. That's human nature because of Adam. We are naturally born sinners. When we become born again, God puts His nature in us and it changes us. That's why everybody needs to get saved. That's the reasonable thing to do is because of all the problems in the world is for everyone to get saved. That will cure a lot of the world's problems. Praise God. But this uh, holy and acceptable to God, one version says that this is... Um, Praise God, where did I put it? There it is, spiritual worship. Reasonable service is spiritual worship. Your work could be worship to God. Do everything as though you're doing it for God. Your grocery shopping could be reasonable spiritual worship because you're doing it for Jesus. Hallelujah. We're going to go to the next slide. And we're going to come back to this slide because it's going to be the conclusion. Somehow, the conclusion is uh, bolded, highlighted there. So, we'll come back. Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21 through 22. This is an amazing story. You notice here, there's three people groups. People of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. They amassed a large army. They come against Israel. And they're going to go to war. And Jehoshaphat is the king. 
And he gets news of this. I think they're outnumbered like 10 to 1. I don't know about you, but I don't think I could fight off 10 guys. 10 to 1, they're outnumbered. And, the, and King Jehoshaphat calls everyone. National call. Everybody come. National call to prayer. Come to Jerusalem. Let's pray. We need God in this. There's nothing we can do. We need God. And they pray. And the Bible says that there's a young man there. He's a Levite. And the Spirit of God comes upon him. And he prophesies. He gets up and he speaks for God. And he says, this is what God's telling me to tell you to do. And the man's name, I, doesn't, I don't remember his name offhand, but I know it means that God sees. Isn't that good news? God sees. God knows what we're going through. God sees everything. God sees. He sees our needs. God sees the problems. God sees the enemies, strategies against us. God sees the people that oppose us. God sees. And he gets up and he says, God told me to tell you guys to get the singers and the musicians and put them in front of the army. Not because they're lousy singers and uh, bad musicians so they get killed first. <laughs> Put them in front of the army and have them sing praises to God. And watch what God will do. Hallelujah. So they do that. And it says they go out singing and they should praise the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Isn't that a glorious phrase? The beauty of holiness. God, when he looks at you and I, he sees us as holy. He sees the beauty of holiness on us. And as we worship God with that attitude that God sees us as holy and God himself is holy, that Bible says that they sang, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Psalm 136 has 26 verses. And every verse they have a phrase that God did this for His mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for His mercy endures forever. Like I said earlier, it says His hands are stretched forth all the day long towards us. His mercy endures forever. Inexhaustible. Hallelujah. Praise God. So they go out singing. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's what that word uh, hallelujah means. It Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. And it says, when they began to sing and to praise the Lord, set ambushments against these people, enemies, Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir. And they were defeated. They turned on each other and they killed each other. The people of Israel didn't even have to do any fighting. All they had to do was sing. Hallelujah. Praise God. That's good news for us. All they had to do was sing. Glory to God. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 95, Psalm 95, Oops. Psalm 95, verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> Oops. Ah. It says these words, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. We're under his care. He touches us. Hallelujah. And I believe God wants to touch us more and more and more as we see the day approaching. Jesus is coming back soon. Nobody knows when, but let's be ready. Hallelujah. Let's worship God. Turn to Psalm 92. Psalm 92. 
Psalm 92, it says it's a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. Now, we don't observe the Sabbath anymore. And in Romans chapter 14, verse 5, Paul says some people think one day is more special than others. Um, some people think uh, uh, every day is special. Make up your own mind. In my opinion, every day is special. Jesus rose again from the dead. He didn't go back in the grave. He's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. So every day is Easter. Hallelujah. Because he broke out. He raised from the dead. There was an earthquake. The angel rolled the stone away. And the soldiers fell down as dead men. Hallelujah. They couldn't move. Glory to God. That day, hallelujah, is a it's still here. Jesus is still alive. Can you say amen? It's a song for the Sabbath. And it says these words, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High. I looked up in Strong's uh, Concordance, and just in the Psalms alone, the word sing is mentioned about 60 times. Sing. Even if you don't have a great voice, sing. You want to hear what you sound like? Put your hand next to your ears and you can hear yourself. Sing. Sing, hallelujah. Because when we sing, we sing praises to God. We declare His loving kindness in the morning and His faithfulness every night on an instrument of ten strings or however many strings, on the lute and on the harp with harmonious sounds. We have guitars nowadays, pianos, Praise God. Mr. Steinway of the Steinway Grand Piano Company was given an honorary engineering degree because he created harmony out of stress. His creation of the grand pianos, there's a frame in there, and it had to be just right because the strings have so much stress that if it wasn't built correctly, the strings would collapse the thing. And so he was given an honorary degree in engineering because he figured out how to build it just right. Hallelujah. On an instrument of, I don't know how many strings are in there, but there's 88 keys, quite the range of musical tones. I believe, you know, you listen to the radio or music and, and, and it almost feels like there's a spirit behind some music. I've heard some music that's just awful. It's like, man. That is terrible. It sounds like the radio is broken. I used to uh, uh, listen to uh, uh, that Jamaican music, uh, uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers, and, and uh, I was into that whole culture. I used to um, <clears throat> go to concerts. Uh, first concert I went to was a group called the Grateful Dead. You would think I would have, un you know, hey, wait a minute, that, that's, that's a strange name. What's even stranger is before they became famous as the Grateful Dead, their name was the Warlocks. Wait, what? <laughs> and their music and their culture is built around all kinds of strange things. There's a spirit, I believe, behind music. Anyway, so we sing, and God defeats our enemies. Praise God. Let us go back to <clears throat> the conclusion. Let's see. All right. Praise God. The conclusion of the matter. <clears throat> I should have put this one at the end, but live and learn. The conclusion. What then? 
I'll pray with the Spirit, and I'll pray with the understanding. I'll sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. If you have the gift of glossolalia, the gift of speaking in tongues, you can sing in tongues too. Just make it up as you go. Let, let the inspiration come in and just go with it. Worship. I, I do that quite a bit as I'm by myself driving. That's my prayer closet pretty much. Praise God. Everybody has a prayer closet, right? Amen? <laughs> Praise God. So I want to do something different to end the service. Is the guitar on? Blake, do you mind if I pick up your guitar? Where's Blake? He's in Children's Church. Do you guys know that song, um, Worthy is the Lamb? You guys stand if you can. Hallelujah. 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 The Lord God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah, hallelujah, holy, sorry, that's really too high for me, holy, are you Lord God Almighty, worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, holy, help me, 